but we're glad to have them here. We've got uh, quite a few in, in this. So praise the Lord. We thank you for being here and supporting the meeting. And uh, let's sing real pretty, and let's maybe we can sing a few more in. Let's uh, turn to number 484. 484. <laughs> Let's all stand if you can. 484. <clears throat> to Jesus every day I find my heart is closer drawn. He's fairer than the glory of the golden purple dawn. He's all my fancy pictures in its fairest dreams and more. Each day he grows still sweeter than he was the day before. The half cannot be fancy. This side, the golden shore, oh, there he'll be still sweeter than he ever was before. His glory broke upon me when I saw him from afar. He's fairer than the lily, brighter than the morning star. He fills and satisfies my longing spirit o'er and o'er. Each day he grows still sweeter than he was the day before. The half cannot be fancy. This side, the golden shore. Oh, there he'll be still sweeter than he ever was before. My heart is sometimes heavy, but he comes with sweet relief. He folds me to his bosom when I droop with blighting grief. I love the Christ to all my burdens in his body bore. Each day he grows still sweeter than he was the day before. The half cannot be fancy. This side, the golden shore. Oh, there he'll be still sweeter than he ever was before. Amen. Very good. Let's sing 527. 527. Thanks, O God, for boundless mercy from thy gracious throne above. Thanks for every need provided from the fullness of thy love. Thanks for daily toil and labor and for rest when shadows fall. Thanks for love of friend and neighbor and thy goodness unto Thanks for thorns as well as roses. Thanks for weakness and for health. Thanks for clouds as well as sunshine. Thanks for poverty and wealth. Thanks for pain as well as pleasure. All thou sin this day by day. And thy word our dearest treasure. Shedding light upon our way. Thanks, O God, for home and fireside where we share our daily bread. Thanks for hours of sweet communion when by Thee our souls are fed. Thanks for grace in time of sorrow and for joy and peace in thee thanks for hope today tomorrow and for all eternity amen brother martin if you would would you open us in prayer today
Amen. Please do be seated. Well, again, it is good to have everyone here tonight. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Brother Addison. Would you stand up? Okay. Some of you all remember Brother Addison Brown. He's in trouble here. He's uh, preached for us a number of times over the years, and so we just uh, have known him for a while. And uh, he called me this week, and he believes it's the Lord's will for him to go out into the pastorate now. So he's been a very faithful servant for years. Can I ask you all to be in prayer for him? Amen. Be in prayer that the Lord would guide his steps, direct the church. Amen. And the Lord would give him peace to know where he should go. Because it is a work, brother. Amen. So make sure that you get with the, where the Lord wants you. Amen. Serve him well. How many of y'all be in prayer for him? Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Amen. I'm glad that he's here tonight. So do be in prayer for his pastor. I guess he had a sickie in the house or something like that. Or, But anyhow, uh, please do. Uh, it's good to have our, our, our preacher friends here tonight. Uh, number 313. We're going to sing 313. <clears throat> Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior. Trying to follow our Savior and King. Shaping our lives by his blessed example. Happy, how happy the songs that we bring. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior. Stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior. Let in pass of life. Pressing more closely to him who is leading When we are tempted to turn from the way Trusting the arm that is strong to defend us Happy, how happy our praises each day How beautiful to walk of the Savior Stepping in the light, stepping in the light how beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of life. Walking in footsteps of gentle forbearance, footsteps of faithfulness, mercy, and love. Looking to Him for the grace freely promised, happy, how happy our journey above. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of love. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, upward, still upward, will follow our guide. When we shall see him, the king, in his beauty, happy, how happy, our place at his side. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of life. Amen. Very good. Good singing tonight. Well, I tell you what, it's, it, I believe it's been a blessed week. And, uh, and we really do believe here that messages build our faith line upon line, precept upon precept. And uh, we was talking about even yesterday, even as mature Christians, we have so much more to learn. Amen. I was thinking about that, about Lot. A lot of those lessons that he learned, he was an older man. He was an older man. And you know, sometimes we think that the, the message and Christianity is for somebody else, but I don't know about you, I could walk a little closer to Jesus. I could give the Lord a little bit more of my heart. And um, I could learn to follow and serve him, become more mature. We talked about that, more mature, more complete in him. And, uh, and so I just, uh, I want to thank you all for your faithfulness. And... Um, uh, a lot of folks have been watching uh, online, and I praise the Lord for that. I'm glad that people have been trying to keep uh, up 
to date, even if they're not here. But, um, uh, boy, it's just good to be able to sing praises in the house of God, isn't it? And, uh, and uh, be able to say amen. By the way, it's okay to say amen at this church. One amen. <laughs> I do this every once in a while. Can we have a practice amen? One, two, three. Amen. That's pretty good. Amen. Hopefully we'll get a few of those for you. Amen. What's it mean? Amen means? That's true. That's true. Amen. All you're doing is saying that's the word of God. That's true. Keep preaching it. Amen. Brother, you come. You preach the word of God to us. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight. Let's go over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 11 tonight. Matthew chapter 11. I'll tell you, no percentage tonight, so I don't know how many, uh, uh, what percentage we got left, but uh, we are coming to a close. Uh, who would have thought? We'd already been on Thursday night. Some of you think, preacher, I, I would have thought this has been a long week, but uh, hopefully not. Hopefully it's been a blessing and a help to you. Uh, I do say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you to the church here for the wonderful, wonderful hospitality that we've taken care of me and the family. I've enjoyed my time uh, and also want to say uh, thank you to Brother Bradshaw, Miss Bradshaw. I have enjoyed the fellowship. I promise you, if I didn't get anything else out of this week, my heart has been thoroughly encouraged. I feel bad, though. We kept Miss Bradshaw up a little bit. Brother Bradshaw just wouldn't be quiet. It was, it was, it was him. Uh, no. Uh, but I sure have enjoyed it and thank them for their friendship. Um, Matthew chapter 11 tonight. Let's uh, go to our chapter and let's look tonight to the Word of God. Those that are willing and able, would you mind standing with me as we read our text this evening? Give you a chance to stretch your legs one last time as we look to the Word of God. Matthew chapter number 11, verse number 1. The Bible says it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there is not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Our Father tonight, we love you. And God, from our hearts, we want that to be true. We, we don't want to just voice it. We don't just want to declare it. God, we want that to be the truth that resonates from our heart. God, you're deserving of our love tonight. You've been so good to us. And I pray now for the next few moments, I pray for clarity of thought. I pray that you might fill my voice with thus saith the Lord. And I pray the Holy Spirit might find a very comfortable spot in this room tonight and work in a way, dear Lord, in which we really don't even know how to express or ask. But God, I pray you have liberty to work and do what you want done God, will be careful tonight as you meet with us to thank you and praise you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so very, very much. You may be seated. We come to the 11th chapter of the book of Matthew, and we find here in verse number 11 that the Lord Jesus Christ says, There's never risen a greater born among women than John the Baptist. Now, I don't know about you, but I began to think about that statement. 
For somebody to call somebody else great is a compliment. I, I, I've had some people say, well, that's my favorite person or something along those lines. And that's a lofty compliment. But ladies and gentlemen, to have the Lord Jesus say something along those lines about you speaks volumes about who you really are. And the Bible says that Jesus said there's not been a greater risen that's ever been born among women than John the Baptist. I don't know about you, but when I think about John, I think about his character, I think about who he is, I think about all the things that God allowed him to accomplish. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible's got the right idea and the right words when it says that he was great. For instance, in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 3, the Bible teaches you and I that it was John to whom God used to prepare the way of the Lord. And Jesus came and took the material prepared by John the Baptist and his baptism and built his church with that material prepared by John. In Matthew chapter number 3, when John came to the forefront preaching, the Bible tells you and I that crowds of enormous size began to gather at the preaching of John the Baptist. It says from all around Judea and even beyond Jordan, people flocked to hear his preaching. In describing the preaching of John the Baptist, the Bible says he was like one who took an axe and laid it to the root. So what's that talking about, preacher? He knew how to get to the heart of the matter when he preached. He knew how to deal with people and their hearts and where they are. And when he preached, I mean, he, he wasn't just full of fluff and, well, I'm just going to do whatever needs to be done so I can get a crowd and compromise and those kind of things. I mean, my friend, you talk about a straightforward, leather-lunged preacher. I mean, John the Baptist would rear back and he was not a compromiser by any stretch of the imagination. He knew how to deal with people and he knew how to get the Word of God across and deal with people's hearts. I'm, I'm just telling you, he was a great, great man. The Bible teaches in John chapter 1 and verse number 6 that there was a man sent from God. He was commissioned, he was directed, he was sent by the Lord himself. Luke chapter 1 verse 41, the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. If that wasn't enough, my friend, it was John who was given the awesome privilege of being able to lay his hands on the Lord Jesus Christ and baptize the Savior and watch the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. I'm telling you what a great, great accomplishment and what a great privilege for this man to whom the Bible says there was none greater. When I think about John, I, I think about his character. I think about who he is and the greatness that the Bible talks about. I'll just be honest with you tonight. I don't put him in the same category as some of the others in the Bible. Now, now if you'll think that's a little bad of me tonight, I pray you'd forgive me, but I don't think about John the way I do maybe in Abraham. Remember, Abraham goes down to Egypt and it's there to save his own neck that he lies about his wife and portrays her as his sister. And I don't think about him like I do a Moses who lost his temper and struck the rock twice and doing so failed a monumental failure at the end of his life and cost him from having the privilege of accomplishing the goals of God in his life and going into the promised land. I don't think of him like I would a David who allowed his lust to get the best of him and ended up in adultery and premeditating the murder of one of his closest servants. I don't think about him and David and the idea of allowing pride to get the best of him in which he numbered the nation of Israel and his armies and cost 70,000 people their lives. I, I don't think of him like that. I look at John and the Bible says there's never been greater born among women than John the Baptist. And my friend, I have a tendency to think of him in high and lofty thoughts. But here's the issue. As high and lofty as you and I want to think about John, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't without his own struggles. If you allow me tonight for just a few moments, I want us to look 
at this Bible character by the name of John the Baptist. And I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, even great ones struggle. Even great ones struggle. Let me first of all bring your attention to verse number three tonight. And I want you to notice the painful reality of struggling. In verse number three, here's what John says. He calls his two disciples to himself. And in verse three, he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a physical struggle. That's not even a mental struggle. When he said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? It's not like he didn't know who Jesus was. I mean, this is the same one who, according to John's gospel, saw him and witnessed him walking on the banks of the river of Jordan and tells the multitude, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It wasn't a mental struggle. It wasn't a physical struggle. It was a spiritual struggle of monumental proportions. So what do you mean by that, preacher? My friend, he is questioning and struggling with the very validity of Jesus Christ. Are you the Savior? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we were told would come? Or are we to be looking for somebody else? I'm going to tell you, you can't get greater in a struggle than this. And I want you to think about something with me. This isn't some fleeting moment. You know, sometimes, I don't know how you are, maybe you're not as carnal as I am, but I'll have thoughts every once in a while pop in my head, and I'm like, my lands, where did that come from? And probably because I don't have uh, the attention span, I I don't think about them often. Sometimes, quick as it appears, it kind of leaves and flutters and that kind of stuff. But that's not what John's dealing with. John is going through a season in his life of struggle. So how do you know that? Because my friend, he dwelt on this issue long enough and thought about it. It bothered him to such a degree that he couldn't just leave it alone and let it go and say, well, I'll get past it and I'll get through it and eventually it'll be all right. No, it bothered him to such a degree that he calls two of his disciples unto himself, he relays his struggle and his question and what he's dealing with and he sends those men to go get a hold of Jesus and get an answer. Jesus hears about it. These men talk to him and Jesus sends these men back to John and says, hey, show him again. Tell him. Talk to him. Remind him. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not just a moment. This isn't just a day. This isn't just a few problems that are arising. I'm telling you, this is a season in the life of John the Baptist in which he is greatly struggling in his spiritual life. John's not the only one that's gone through things like that. I won't walk through all the scriptures tonight of the different people in the Bible, but I would remind you about Job. Do you know that Job asks why more than anybody else recorded in all the scriptures? He says in verse 23 of the book of Job in verse 13, he says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Job had felt in his heart that God had abandoned him. Say, oh, preacher, that's not true. I know it's not true, but that's how he felt. That's what he felt like in his heart. God's not around no more. God's not talking to me. God's not dealing with me. There's not that fellowship and that closeness and that communion with him like I once had. He felt in his heart that God would had abandoned him, and he wasn't there. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 Elijah had gotten to the point after seeing the great victory with the 450 prophets of Baal and watching God rain fire down from heaven after 53 words and my friend lapping up that sacrifice off the altar. I'm telling you, Elijah had a victory only to go from an extreme high to an extreme low. 
He finds himself under a tree wanting God to take his very life. David, to whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, and Psalm 42 on three different occasions in the 42nd Psalm, and then again in Psalm 43, he makes the declaration that his soul is cast down. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that word cast down means to be depressed, to be made low, to be prostrate or laid out. He says that his soul has become depressed. David, as godly as a man as he is, had bouts of depression within his own life and struggled on a spiritual level. So, okay, preacher, I got it. What's your point tonight? Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. I don't know where you are, but I'll speak for myself tonight. There have been times in my Christian life where I look at others and I look at them and I almost put them up on a pedestal and I'll say, man, they're super Christians. They're super saints. They don't have the same struggles that I do. They don't have the same issues and failures and faults and problems in their spiritual life that I do. And I get to thinking, man, I'm the only one. I'm, I'm kind of weird. I'm kind of out there. I'm some oddball. Why do I suffer? Why do I go through these things? Why do I struggle like this? I mean, certainly this never happens to this person and to that person. And I'm not just talking about people in the Bible. There are preachers that I know, preachers that I highly respect and admire and care about in the ministry. And there have been times in my life that I've looked to them and think, man, they'd never feel this way like I do. They would never go through the problems that I do. They'd never have these inadequacies and these struggles like I'm dealing with. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we think, man, I'm the only one that deals with this. And I got news for you that, my friend, even some of the greatest Christians that ever have walked the face of the planet, even they have had their moments of struggles. You say, okay, I got it. Now listen to me. The purpose of that is not for you and I to come and cast judgment on these individuals. It's not for you and I to look at our Bible and say, wow, John, man, you really messed up. I can't believe you did that. It's not for you and I to look down our nose and throw criticism on these individuals. It's that the Bible might be a mirror to us and cast judgment on us. And I'm telling you, it helps me. It's not to demoralize. It's not to criticize. It's not to be ugly of men like John the Baptist. The truth of the matter is, it encourages my heart along the way to know that I'm not the only one that struggles it's helpful it's encouraging would you recognize with me I I, I, want to I want to tell you how this plays out if I can I hope you won't think ugly of me or bad of me But I'm going to tell you this issue of struggling is real. I've been pastoring the church in which I'm pastoring now for going on 16 years. About three, four years into pastoring. Let me preface before I say that to say this. I've always been an individual who's pretty uh, confident, pretty... Uh, assured on what the Lord wants out of me and what He's asked of me. And I've really never had those kind of struggles on following the will of God. But I'm going to tell you about three to four years into my pastorate, I went through a struggle and I began to doubt everything. I began to doubt my call. I began to doubt whether I should be preaching. I got to the point to where my mind wouldn't shut off. I couldn't escape. I'd go days on end without sleeping. I found myself weeping uncontrollably at times. I didn't want to be alone. 
but I didn't want to be around nobody at the same time? Say, explain that. I can't. (laughs) I thought, man, nobody else. And I became isolated. I began to have problems. And I'm not talking about just a moment. I'm talking about this transpired over the course of a few months. Several months, to be honest with you. I thought, man, nobody else. If my church, if the brethren, if others knew what I'd going through, I'd lose all respect and all credibility. And it bothered me. I said, preacher, what'd you do? Finally sat down with two older preachers. In a one-on-one conversation, I said, Brother Taylor, you're not the only one. They began to lay out some things for me. And it helped me. Now, it didn't alleviate everything immediately, but it certainly helped me to get my feet back under me and began to look at things properly when I realized that this issue of struggling to one degree or another in our spiritual life is real. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting in the pew. It doesn't matter if you're standing in the pulpit. It doesn't matter about your involvement or your position or your title. We all, at one point or another, struggle to one degree or another in our Christian spiritual lives. There's the painful reality of struggling. Let me talk to you secondly tonight about the personal reasons for struggling. Look at our text tonight, would you? And notice what we find. Notice what it says. Now, if you'll go to verse 2, let me say this. When it comes to struggling, what you struggle over, somebody else may not struggle. But what they struggle over, you may not struggle. We have different reasons that that affect us and different things. I can't go through every reason of why people struggle, but I do want to give you some from the passage from John's life that I believe will help us and probably are applicable to all of us tonight in one degree or another. So look in verse 2. Look what it says. It says, Now when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. The first thing I would tell you that there's a reason for struggling is the isolation He's in prison. You know, that means he's cut off from the ministry. He's cut off from other people. He's isolated. Oh, yeah, he can have a visitor. He can call people to himself, that kind of stuff. But my friend, being isolated means there's a feeling and an idea of being alone. Can I tell you tonight... There's a reason that God has put the church together the way it has. And it's not always, please don't take this or misunderstand this. I'm telling you that the most important thing we do is preaching of the word of God that we might be instructed and we might be helped. But it's not just all about preaching. It's not just all about singing. It's not just about the different classes and the different things. Sometimes it's just about the fellowship that God has given us in his house amongst his people because my friend, the Bible is very clear as a body that when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. And I'm telling you, there's nobody that can encourage your heart like other members of the house of God. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll begin to isolate ourselves. And isolation is a dangerous thing because it makes you feel like you're all alone and nobody understands and nobody realizes and nobody cares. And all those thoughts, you know, preacher, that thing isn't really true. Yeah, but the emotions come to the forefront and you have to deal with those emotions because they become a reality to people. And so it's an isolation idea. And by the way, that's exactly what Elijah felt. I'm the only one. 
Now, God had to bring his attention. No, there's 7,000 others that's never bent a knee, still serving God, doing everything God wants to be doing. But Elijah, regardless of what the facts were, Elijah felt in his heart that he was alone. And sometimes we struggle because of the isolation. Let me also tell you tonight, sometimes we struggle because of the injustice. The Bible says he's in prison. You know why he's in prison? He's not in prison for being a crook. He's not in prison for embezzling church funds. He's not in prison for some kind of indecency or wrongdoing. He's in prison for following God, doing what God's asked of him, and preaching the truth of God's word. Verse 6 says this. It says, Jesus speaking in response to the question from John to these disciples says, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. I don't believe Jesus said that just for filler and because he had no other things to say. I believe he said that because this is exactly what John the Baptist is dealing with. That word offended is an interesting term because it means to be tripped up. It has the idea of a stumbling block. It has to do with somebody who's kind of stumbled and fell a little bit and trying to get their footing. Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended, who are not tripped up. John, don't let your faithfulness to me and think somehow that you've got the short end of the stick here and this isn't fair and you shouldn't be in prison. I mean, can you imagine what it had been like for John to really start looking at this thing and think, man, I've been faithful. I've tried to do what God wants me to do. I've tried to honor him, tried to be faithful and true to the word of God. I've not compromised. Here I am in prison. And you've got all these shysters and crooks called the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. And they're stealing people's money. They're lying to them. They're doing all these things. And they're out in the world free as they can be. And look at me. It isn't fair. Sitting right. Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to go through this? And the devil is a master yes, at enticing us with injustice. This isn't this shouldn't be right. That God you say that's so good to you and helped you and watched over you and provided for you, why do you let this happen in your life? And I'm not saying what the Lord happens isn't sometimes very hard. I'm not saying it's not, uh, it's not uh, traumatic. I'm not saying that it won't cause you heartache and hurt along the way. But I tell you, my friend, God does nothing without purpose. And we may not always understand that purpose. But I promise you, he's got a reason for what he does. And sometimes we can start struggling because of isolation, we're, we're, we're alone, we're, we're away from people. And, and I don't want to rehash something, but I do want to say this. When you're starting to struggle with something in your life, you ought to join that much harder and that more earnest to the house of God. I've never understood why people who end up struggling with some kind of sin or some kind of emotion end up isolating themselves further from the house of God. Because it's during those times you need God and his people more than ever. There's the isolation. There's the injustice. Man, this isn't right. This isn't fair. I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm just trying to serve the Lord. And man, I get ridiculed and the job is... I won't participate in all the dirty jokes and the things that everybody else does. Why do I have to be made a public example out of I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do? There's the isolation. There's the injustice. But then let me talk to you for just a moment about the indignation. Look where he's ended up. He's in prison. I don't think John ever thought 
doing what God wanted him to do would land him there. Now, I, I think pretty, he, 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 he's smart enough to know that it was a possibility. But ladies and gentlemen, let's be honest, sometimes we think what's a possibility is not going to be a reality. We don't, ah, that won't happen. And you know what happens sometimes? We struggle when things don't, don't always turn out like we thought they should. Okay. Let me give you an example. You ever get behind the wheel and you're headed to church or you're headed to the store or you're headed somewhere and that nasty thing called road rage? <laughs> you know why that happens? Because something happens. Somebody gets in your way. Something takes place on the highway. You expected a clean, clear, easy path to wherever you were going and when things don't end up like you expect it causes frustration frustration leads to resentment that leads to anger that settles in in bitterness there's a lot of people that got involved in the Lord's work over the years and things they had some expectation. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. And can I tell you, we better be careful about expectations. You and I have only the right to expect what God promises us. When we set expectations and we think, well, this is the way it's going to be and this is the way it's going to turn out. And this, hey, I started pastoring 16 years ago. And I tell you what, I had the expectation that everybody's going to love me. Sorry, Brother Addison. <laughs> Don't mean to bust your bubble tonight. Everybody's going to love me. Have they? Well, you've got a good group of folks that are far better to their pastor than their pastor ever deserves. But no, not everybody's loved me over the years. But God never told me everybody would love me. I know a lot of times God's people have expectations. And when they set an expectation and it's not met... Now they become resentful and angry and bitter. And sometimes we struggle because of the indignation. There's the painful reality of struggling. Everybody, to one degree or another, there's not a one of us that's perfect tonight. There's not a one of us that have arrived. We all got room to grow. Uh, I've already said it this week. Our goal is to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And guess what? We've got room to grow. And so we all struggle. And there's a personal reasons of different degrees to one reason or another. But let me talk to you in closing tonight about the progressive resolution. What do we do? If all I did was talk to you about the pain and the reality and all I talked to you about a bunch of reasons why and we dismissed and went our way, then I'm not sure I helped anybody tonight. But the Word of God does have the answer. And there are some real truths that will help you and help me when we go through struggles of one spiritual nature or another. So let's look at this progressive resolution here. Look very quickly with me tonight in verse number 2. In verse number 2 it says, When John heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? You know the first thing we find here about this progression, this, this progress of being able to resolve the struggling that he's dealing with? The first thing I tell you is John is very honest. John is very open. This is what I'm dealing with. This is my question. This is what I'm dealing and struggling. And this is how I feel. This is what I think. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you tonight, we'll never settle anything of any nature in our spiritual lives until we get 
absolutely honest about who we are, what's going on, and how we're feeling. So I don't want to be disrespectful. I'm not talking about being disrespectful to God, but I am telling you, God already knows our heart. God already knows what we're dealing with. And the best thing we can do to air things out and get right with him and get over whatever we're struggling with, it starts with being honest about what we're dealing with. We want lost people to be honest. Lost people can't get saved until they're honest about being lost and about their sin and what God says about their condition. Oh yeah, we want lost people to be honest so they can get saved, get right with God. Okay, then as a child of God, you and I need to be honest. It's interesting, David says in the 142nd Psalm, He says, I poured out my complaint before him. Now, don't don't misunderstand. That's not David sticking his fist in the face of God and complaining about God. This is David literally pouring out his soul. I poured out my complaint. I literally told God what I thought was wrong and how I felt and what I'm going through. You know Jesus was honest? Are are you telling me Jesus had, had struggles? I'm telling you there were times in which he spiritually struggled. I'm not talking about sin. Please don't, 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 don't get into that. Our Savior was perfect. He, my friend, never contemplated sin, never thought about sin, never entertained sin of any fashion. He was absolutely perfect. But John chapter 12 and verse 27, Jesus talking to his disciples said, My soul is exceedingly troubled. Our Savior said that. Can I just make a note here about this issue of honesty? First and foremost, absolutely we need to be honest with God. But can I tell you sometimes it'll help when we're honest with others. John, in order to get some help, had to be honest with those two disciples. He had to talk to them. He had to explain some things. Jesus talked to his men and told them where he was and what he's dealing with. And I think sometimes we get this idea that nobody else struggles and nobody else goes through anything because we don't talk about it. Now, I'm not talking, and I I don't want to spend the next five minutes of saying everything I'm not saying, but I do want to say this. I'm not talking about airing out dirty laundry. I'm not talking about exploits of sin and trying to glorify past things and stuff like that. I don't think that has any place in a Christian's life and testimony and things of that. Paul says this in the book of Romans. He says, I would have you wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. We don't have to get up and give a testimony of 30 minutes and talk 25 minutes about how we used to run the streets and alcohol and drugs and all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, my friend, all we have to do is say, listen, there is a God in heaven that reached down in the pit of sin and pulled me out and did a marvelous job and a miraculous work in my heart. But I am telling you, at points along the way, we can use discretion and discernment and still be honest about where we are and what we've gone through. There's the issue of honesty tonight. Let me also talk to you. Look in verse number 4. In verse number 4, here's what you find. Jesus answered and said unto them, Now notice this. Go and show John again those things which you do here and see. Go, he tells his disciples, go and show him again. Go remind John of all those things he's witnessed and experienced firsthand. Take John down memory lane and tell John to recollect some things and remember and latch on to those things because guess what? The same God 
that helped him and took care of him and walked through him here is the same God that will take care of him and walk with him where he is right now. And sometimes what you and I need to do when we're struggling, we're struggling with doubts, we're struggling with insecurity, we're struggling with depression or whatever it might be. Some of the best things we can do is take a moment and look behind us and realize and recognize all the times that our God has provided, all the time He's rescued us, all the time He's encouraged our hearts. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, even today, there are some monumental markers down in my Christian life that every once in a while I reach back to and grab a hold of. Why? Because they help me now. Okay? Several years ago, my wife and I were newly married. I'm getting ready to quit my job. I'd already given my two weeks notice. And I'm going on deputation for the prison ministry at the time. Two days. It's my last day on the job. I'm a welder. Welding. Get on break. My phone rings. And it's my wife. She says, uh, sweetheart, I was just in a wreck. Lady ran a stop sign. T-boned her. It's the only car we had. Now, it's a 1993 Ford Escort. I hated that car. <laughs> hated it. But it's the only car we had. She goes, I was just in a wreck. I said, are you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm fine. I'm not hurt. I said, in the car? She goes, it's totaled. I was like, yes! <laughs> yes! Sorry, Lord. But it's the only car we have. Now, do I need to wait? Do I, I need to go see if my boss won't let me not quit? I, Lord, I don't know what to do. We can't afford a car. We've been working towards this end, trying to get to the point where everything's good and paid off so we can make this step. But I don't know what to do. Three days later, the day after my final day on the job, I have a pastor in South Texas call me. He said, Brother Taylor, can you use a car? Well, what? Can you use a car? I said, who have you been talking to? He said, Brother Taylor, can you use a car or not? And, and I'm honest, I said, you've been talking to my pastor? He said, no. Well, do you need a car? I said, Brother, you have no idea I need a car. And I went from a 93 Ford Escort with over 200,000 miles on it to a 99 Chrysler New Yorker with less than 75,000 miles. And that happened 25 plus years ago. And there have been times down through the life when I start struggling. God, I don't know how we're going to make it. God, I don't know what to do. And it's like, <clears throat> you not remember over here? Do you not remember what I did for you here? Do you not remember how I supplied and I took care of you and you've never missed a meal and you've never gone without and I've provided and I've taken care and I've watched over you and I've protected you? Hey, 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 do you not remember all this? Yes, sir. Amen. Yeah. I haven't changed. And sometimes what we need to do is just step back. So, you know, I don't know where the answer is going to come from. And I don't know how this is all going to work out and the situation is going to unfold. But I know the same God that's helped me every step of the way is the same God that's going to take care of me Amen. the rest of the way.
Look in verse number 4 again with me and notice it. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Now, do you know what this is? This is actually a reference and a quote back to Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. You know what the Lord does to help John with his struggling? He gives him a verse. He gives him a verse. He takes him back to the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you tonight, there's nothing that will help a struggling heart like the comfort of the Scriptures. God will speak to us and show Himself and manifest Himself from the Bible in ways that you and I cannot again. I cannot tell you how many times in my Christian life I've been dealing with something. There have been times which I needed a strong rebuke and God's opened up the Bible and said, hey, hey, pay attention right here. This is who you are. This is what you're doing. And he's turned the mirror of the Word of God on me and I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. There are other times in which I was just having a self-pity party. And God says, quit that. And he showed me a verse. There's other times in which my heart's been broken because of betrayal and different things. And God comforted me by a verse. I'm just telling you, it's an amazing thing how God can work in our heart with just a verse. There's nothing like having him talk to us through His Word in that still, small voice. I remember as a kid, when I was a youngster, about three days before Christmas, my dad would gather us kids up and we'd go to the store and we'd go Christmas shopping for mom. And dad'd say, all right, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're looking at. And need to go look at things. Well, you know, I, I was concerned about mom's Christmas gift about that much, to be real honest. I was looking for the toys and different things. And so I remember looking through the to- store one time, and I was pushing this button and playing with that and doing this. My dad had always threatened and joked about, son, you better come on or I'm going to leave you. So one time, I'm at the store looking around. Thought, man, I hadn't seen Dad in a while. So I started making the laps, looking down the aisles. Where is he? About the third lap around the store, couldn't find him. Started, oh no, he's made good on his promise finally. And I started panicking as a kid. I'll never forget it. I can't find him. I don't know where he is. And I stopped a lady in the store who I thought was one of the store workers. And I said, ma'am, have you seen my dad? And I'm starting to panic. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear his voice. Son, stop. I'm coming to you. Don't move. And he had been about two aisles over, and he had been chasing me for about the last couple of laps around the store. <laughs> But in a panic, when I thought my world was upside down, I couldn't see him, but his voice made all the difference in the world. Having him talk to me, even if I needed to be gotten on to, it made a difference. I was no longer scared, no longer wondering. Oh, he wasn't there yet, and I didn't see. But as soon as he spoke, everything changed. Nothing will help us in our struggles like him speaking to us. So let me ask you tonight.
You ever struggle? You ever have some sh- some thoughts, some doubts, some issues? You ever get to the point you think, man, I'm the only one? I, I tell you tonight, it's a painful reality. But we all struggle. And there are personal reasons for whatever those struggles are. But I tell you tonight, there's a progressive resolution to take care of it. And it starts with us being honest. God, this is what I'm feeling. It's what I'm dealing with. It's what's on my heart. And sometimes we just need to step back and say, God, I don't see any way out of this. I don't see, I, 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 don't, I don't know how you're going to do it. And I can look back behind me. Man, you've never let me down. And you've never failed me, so God, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you in the sense that I've always watched you. Be right and true and right on time. And then go to the Bible. Say, God, I need to hear from you. Might you speak to me? Might you rebuke me if I need it? Might you comfort me? Might you challenge me? Whatever it is, might you give me a verse? Every head bowed and every eyes closed tonight.